Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. This is episode 198, and the topic is the Boeing 737 MAX door or um, door plug on Alaska Airlines that uh, came out suddenly. And we're going to look at the situation, what actually came out in the news. Of course, looking at this in perspective of the other issues of the 737 MAX and of Boeing in general. And we're going to wonder what is design issues, what is manufacturing issues, what is other issues. So this is a very interesting and timely topic. Today, I'm going to be your host. This is Renaud Angeron from Sophist. And I'm together with our head of reliability and compliance, Andrew Arminovin, who's been on the show quite a few times so far. How are you doing, Andrew? Ah, great to be here, Renaud. Thank you. How are you? All right. Great, great. So maybe you can you can open the show and tell us, okay, what what happened? What are the the facts, what, what's going on? Why is this 737 MAX in the news again? Yeah, Renault, this, this is still happening and kind of a lot of new information coming in as we watch the scenario situation this happened. But apparently about uh, roughly about a week and a half ago, Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 going from Portland, Oregon to Ontario had experienced a decompression a door plug had basically, you know, exploded or, or you might say came off uh, from the airplane and detached basically, uh, right about 16,000 uh, feet, which is pretty high. And as a result, uh, they had to do emergency landing. And luckily no one uh, in particular, let's say was injured, but this has become a big issue because now a lot of the 737 MAX 9s are grounded as a result of this. And NTSB is basically looking at the whole thing and what they need to do. Right. So NTSB is National Transportation Safety Board, right? So this is yes. This is the guys who are dispatched to accident sites and near accident sites and who... Um, who, who, who do the investigations, ask the tough questions, uh, send samples for metallurgical analysis and all these kinds of things and write up the report. And, uh, based on the, the, based on that, they have a, um, a safety board that makes recommendations. And over the years, that industry safety level has gone up and up and up to the point where there's barely any deadly accident in any given year anymore. Right, is is amazing, and as they say in that industry, the all the rules and procedures and and everything, they've been written in in blood because a lot of the learnings came from deadly accidents. Right, so these are the guys in the U.S. Right, and then there's depending on the countries, you know, um, sort of the equivalent here and there of the NTSB. NTSB is uh, the American American administration, but um, about safety uh, in uh, in aviation but i have a comment it seems like ntsb is being easy somewhat on boeing that being said you know you might have thought about it 
you know, that the, the um, what was that, 2019 Max 8 issue, two mm-hmm. airplanes crashed and three, 400 people died. You might have thought that, okay, NTSB would have put pressure on them to definitely fix these and do a corrective action on it so that nothing like this ever happens again. And here it is. Max series have had all kinds of problems, and here we, we see again. So I'm not sure how good of a job NTSB is doing in terms of catching these issues. Well, in the U.S., uh, actually, you should know that better than me because I'm not from the U.S., right? But the, the, the regulator is the FAA, right? The Federal Aviation Correct. Administration. And the NTSB is just sort of as a support arm. That's my general understanding. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and the FAA is the regulator, is the ones that give the, the, the license to, to fly to new airplane models and, and all sorts of things like that. And there is a strong, how to say, a strong evidence that the FAA has been easy on Boeing over the years in the way that they approved the 737 MAX to start with before the deadly accidents of, yeah, I think it was 2019 when two of these planes uh, went into the ground and killed hundreds of people. And, and that's typical. When you have one big manufacturer in the country, because right now in uh, student airplanes, in that, in that industry, in the U.S., you have Boeing, and that's about it, right? That's um, right. So in that case, the, the regulator tends to rely on the manufacturer. And in a lot of countries, it's the same thing with the airline. You have, the, the let's say, the big national airline. They will write a bunch of procedures and things like that. And then the, the it's given to the to the regulators who say, okay, well, that, that was good. That becomes the regulation for the airlines in our country, right? And in Hong Kong, for example, a lot of the, a lot of the regulations in Hong Kong come from procedures written by Cathay Pacific, right? And mm-hmm. this, is, this is sort of a natural, totally to be expected phenomenon. Right. Um, but then it also means that it's very easy to to go in the wrong direction and 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 be too lenient, right? And and Correct. and clearly with the seven three seven marks, uh, the, the and uh, basically we need to re- recap things a bit because listeners might not be familiar with that. But the context is very important. There was strong economic pressure because American Airlines was about to, to award a big contract to Airbus for 320, 320 Neo. Okay. And they had the 737, which is a pretty old airplane. And they thought, okay, let's put some more um, uh, modern um, uh, engines on, on that old model. But the, you know, if you look at the, the modern jet engines, the diameter is much wider. Yes. So they couldn't put it under the wings like they were supposed to be, like they used to be in the old 737. So they had to put it, to put the, these big engines ahead, you know, more um, toward the, the, the nose of the plane. And then, of course, that in a certain situation uh, will tend to, um, to, to force the, the plane to, to go out of pitch, to, to, to go nose up uh, when you push very hard and things like that. Right. Uh, just because you 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 upset the balance of the plane, right? I mean, the engine versus the where are the wings and all these kind of things. So exactly. then they um, they put that uh, MCAS uh, software system. I'm not going to go into the details, but basically not telling the pilots 
but putting this um, special uh, auto correction when the the plane is is going to go nose up too much, right? Automatically bring the nose back closer to uh, to the horizon, right? To uh, to 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 uh, horizontal level, okay. But then the problem, and that was a major major design mistake, is that they only relied on one angle of attack sensor, meaning that if one sensor failed or, or failed to give the correct data, then the airplane would feel that, you know, it's going nose up or nose down way too much, and then it would activate that special software that automatically corrects things and pushes the nose down. And that's what happened. You know, everything in airplane, uh, airplanes, all, all of these critical systems have redundancy, but in that case, they only used one of the, the angle of attack sensors. Angle of attack meaning um, uh, based on... Uh, how the wind is blowing on the face of the plane, basically, yes. to know if the plane is going like horizontal or going up or going down. So defective sensors plus software that uh, was not, um, let us say, that, that that did not result in training for the pilots. Right. And this was the 2000, and this was the 2019 right. issues, right? Yeah, and, right, 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 right. And that, that there was clearly... I mean, the, the the regulator should not have allowed that to to happen. It is, you know, there's a lack of redundancy on a totally critical system. Right. Um, there's there's an autocorrection system that is not part of training for the pilots, so they assume it's the same from the old seven three seven to the new seven three seven max, but it's not the same. There's something new that they are not they're not uh, familiar with, and then the, obviously the pilots, uh, the, the unions of the pilots were pretty upset and everything. Okay, so. That was context of economic, strong economic pressure to go fast. No time to redesign a new plane from scratch. Bad design, hiding certain things so that uh, putting a lot of pilots off of work and into training was not necessary. So to cut costs and make the new plane more acceptable. You know, and they even blamed the pilots when there was the first accident. Like, oh, this pilot maybe is not so good. You know, uh, it's, it's probably a pilot error. Yeah, good job, guys. Um, <laughs> so, so the regulator should—I mean, if they had seen the, the entirety of it, they, they, they would probably have said, "No, no, no. Uh, this this is not good design. This is no good." Right. So, that's um, that's a bit of the the history uh, behind the seven three seven max. I think I mentioned clearly there were there was economic pressure, so. It's good also maybe to go back a few decades to to understand. So Boeing in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, I mean, all American citizens were pretty proud of it, right? Uh, it had right. a very good image. It was a company where engineers were coming first and and they were, they were committed to doing a good job and pushing the boundaries of uh, the industry and a lot of good things. And then what happened is that you had an ex-GE manager who went to work for McDonnell Douglas and then later they, they set up some kind of merger between Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. And that guy came coming from GE and used to the Jack Welch methods, um, who was CEO of McDonnell Douglas after a few years became CEO of Boeing. And then yes. he started managing Boeing just like um, McDonnell Douglas. In, in his understanding how Jack Welch was managing G, 
right? Right. Uh, I'm not going to say bad things about Jack Welch because there's also some good things, but um, that means a lot of focus on making money quarter after quarter, a lot of focus on um, cost cutting settings. Yeah, cost cutting and stretching performance goals and you know do whatever it takes kind of um, <laughs> admonitions to management. So, right. so what happened? They and and they they um, they make some huge mistakes. Like, um, for example, a symbol of that is that they were kind of tired of the strong engineering culture, always telling them, "No, I can't do that. No, this is not the proper way," and so on. And they actually moved headquarter from the Seattle area to the Chicago area. You know, yeah. Um, I don't... Basically, to be in a more, I don't know, you know, the, the, the CEO office and the finance folks and everything, you know, let's, let's have our own place and let, let's just show these factory guys that are just factory guys, you know, development guys. Yeah. I mean, you guys are just at the factory. You're not the ones making the decisions, right? right. That's really a symbol of, of that, that uh, the very bad evolution of that culture basically, right? This is uh, management and culture issues that have been running deep at Boeing for more than 20 years. And they're just, they're just obsessed with looking at the, the stock market going up, going down, and how many planes are made. And no, we're not going to slow things down and so on, right? So a lot of things came up um, in the news. I mean, every time there's quality issues, uh, quality reliability issues on, on some planes, uh, it's not very difficult for for the Wall Street Journal or CNBC or some of these uh, news outlets to find disgruntled old employees who tell them all the bad things they have witnessed at Boeing. Right? There's there's been quite a few in in the news recently. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I I can kind of understand why because the culture completely shifted from. Uh, engineering and manufacturing mm-hmm. into basically financial management, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think I was uh, during the research, I ran into one uh, whistleblower, I believe his name was um, Mr. Ed Pearson, who was a former Boeing senior manager, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he mentioned that uh, I think he was also a whistleblower. But I, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that he mentioned and kind of uh, clicked with me was that uh, there was too much focus on finishing the job than quality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot most of the time um, that the work was being done out of the process, what he meant was, was that, you know, for example, they don't have the right parts. So mm-hmm. instead of like stopping the production, they would say, you know, let's just go ahead and continue building. We'll add that part in later. Now, that might be okay for some parts, but for some others, it can't because you need to test the product with all the parts Mm -hmm. in it. You can't test half the parts, half the product, and then put the other one in in, in, and and not think that there's going to make make any kind of change. And then Mm -hmm. there was another comment made by someone else that I thought that was really funny that... um, um, she mentioned that a plane that was designed by clowns and overseen by monkeys. I thought that was kind of a <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right. Right. So 
and that's at Boeing, but it seems like there's also a lot of issues at a one of their key suppliers that makes the fuselage and, and probably makes these door plugs, like the one that came off in, in, in that Alaska Airlines flight. But we're not really exactly sure what they made and what operations they did exactly, but they probably are not very far away from, from this um, this this issue. Is a uh, big company called Spirit Aerosystems, which is a key supplier of Boeing. And a few months ago, there were some quality issues and they, they received some news coverage and people were, you know, investigated a bit about that. And um, there's a there's an interesting Wall Street Wall Street Journal article about that, that that came out recently. And one of the things they say is, for example, at, at that um, supplier, so Spirit Aerosystems, they incentivized uh the, the production people uh, on having fewer defects, you know, fewer defects as reported internally. <laughs> so, mm. what do people do in that case? You know, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get a bonus if if they see uh, low, lower defect counts. Well, we're going All to right. report fewer defects. It's pretty obvious, yes. uh, and, uh, and 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 obviously that's that's what happens. So you you have this this really bad culture, and people don't have I think what what people call it is psychological safety, right? Uh, if you start to raise the alarm and to say there's all kinds of things like that, then you are moved aside, you are pushed into early retirement, you are, you you move to something else that you don't like, so you leave, all, right. all kinds of measures like that, basically. Um, to, to shut your mouth, right? And to show the others that if you open up, you'll be punished. So that, that that's really, it's really the sign of a pretty bad and pretty corrupt culture, frankly, with very bad management, right? And um, unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of that out there. Probably not the only supplier with, with these kinds of issues, but if you let it go for too long, oof, um, you're going to have quality issues and in, in that industry um, there's no <laughs> I mean quality issues will kill you know maybe 300 people so, well you know you and I have talked about this before you know when um, you don't put focus on reliability and quality early on then pay me now or pay me later right so right now for example as a result of this which actually was very lucky that no one uh, was killed mm -hmm. but out of the 218 aircrafts, 171 have been grounded. That's almost all of it. That's amazing. And United Airlines have 79 of these. Alaska Airlines owns 65 and then 74 by all others around the world. Not many actually overseas, luckily. But imagine, I mean, if I think United came up and said that they found some loose hardware in some of their doors. Mm. And that's alarming because these are new airplanes and all of a sudden they have such issues already. You know, if if this is not resolved soon enough, I think that uh, the financial disaster from this to, for Boeing is going to be huge. Yeah. So what they, call, what they call loose parts and so on. For example, for bolts, it means that it's not at the right torque level. For example, it doesn't mean it's completely loose. Correct. But it's not. It's 
not tied the right way. It's not a, it's not within specs. And, and yes, if, if you look at that on on planes that have been out for a few months, that is very alarming. Very very alarming. It's very alarming. Um, I agree. So um, there's also um, looking at the airline. I mean, this is pure speculation here, but the airline headquarters is also in the Seattle area, just like Boeing. So, and they bought a lot of Boeing 737s. Um, are they a little bit too in love with Boeing to see what's going on uh, on 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 a model of airplane that um, that that really doesn't smell very good, and that that might come with many other issues that we discover over the years, right? That that that's really bad, and I looked a bit in their um, the history of Alaska Airline, and they don't have a pristine, uh, perfect history, right? Safety yep. history. There's that flight two six one in uh, in two thousand that went straight down into the into the Pacific Ocean, not very far away from Los Angeles, uh, and what happened is that maintenance uh, their maintenance team did not put grease the right way or especially did not put sufficient grease and not often enough on the on the jack that actions the the trim levels right critical controls to to pilot any airplane and after a while well the threads were completely ripped off and, and then suddenly it failed and then then the plane just went pitched down even went on reverse. I mean, just a terrible, terrible thing, right? Right. Um, so, um, the, the conclusions here on on a plane that has been in operation for not even two months, it's probably not going to be about maintenance. Even though, um, let's see, you know, a lot of things could come out of the yeah. investigation by the NTSB. Yeah, I, I think there's still. A lot remains to be seen. What what's going to be the actual root cause? And the CEO actually came up and mm-hmm. apologized and said, "Yeah, we made a mistake." But you know, admitting mistake is one thing, but then applying corrective action so that that sort of thing doesn't happen again in the future is something else. I saw someone made a good comment, and that in order to change this culture. They need to completely go with a leadership or a CEO that comes from engineering background who really yeah. understands airplane designs. Yeah. I mean, this guy, the current CEO, he went to make the show at the factory. But the thing is, the fact is that his office is in Chicago purposefully, right? Not, right. not, not in Seattle, not by the factories. So to me, it's a bit of a joke. Um, so he's been CEO since 2020, and then he was chairman previously, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, this guy's been around for a while. What has he done to change the culture? Because all these issues, and by the way, he's an ex-GE also, okay? He worked at GE yes. for 26 years, as he so. So he worked in the culture of, of you know, the Jack Welch management culture also. So he is not the right guy to to fix things. Period. That's it. You know, I like, agree. end of story. This guy is is going to put pressure on the on, on on the manufacturing folks and say, "Hey, 
guys, how come this happened? And the, the purchasing folks and the supplier and say, how can you guys mess up like that? But right. but that's it. The you know, are they going to stop looking at the stock the stock market uh, the price, and are they going to stop putting so much pressure for um, uh, the, you know pushing uh, pushing planes out as fast right. as possible at the lowest cost? <laughs> I, I I don't believe so. I don't believe so. This is not the guy who's going to do it. I, I totally agree, and, and I think that uh, you know someone who is a CEO with an engineering background, would probably go into factory floor, talk to the teams, check out some of the issues, have a feel what's going on in terms of design, development, assembly, Mm -hmm. production, and then make the right decisions when he's in a team meeting. Right now, I think, what kind of value a CEO, which is completely financial, you know, Mm -hmm type of information. That's all he knows. He doesn't really much have any or much information about design, development of an airplane. Right. What kind of a value he's going to add, even if he was on the shop floor? So in my opinion, as you said, uh, this this has to change completely from the top down. Mm, right. I mean, yeah, this guy studied accounting. I just checked on Wikipedia. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow. This reminds me, for example, when um, IBM was doing poorly in the 80s, and then they hired Lou, Gerst- Lou Gerstner, who said, okay, okay, let's let's try to keep things together. Let's try to keep things simple for now. Let's have a transition plan. Let's, um, let's get our act together again, be relevant again, you know, little steps. Okay, and then he made sure that his replacement – would be uh, an IBMer. Uh, I forgot the name, Palomiso, something like that. Someone right. who had been at IBM for decades, right? Who really had the uh, the culture. Whereas Lou Gerstner came from where uh, American Express and McKinsey and so on. So he was like a professional manager, going there and not really understanding the operations, but just right. looking at the business side and you know crisis, you know, making the right moves but also preparing for the future, um, paying a lot of attention to the culture, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, that's, I mean, that's the best that, that the CEO, the current CEO uh, could do. That, that's my that's my thinking. <laughs> that's my thinking. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I, I mean, there's a lot going on right now, right? So we don't really have all the details of what happened. I heard that FAA is going to audit Boeing. I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean that they're actually going to go to factory and run the audit of the uh, production line? What does that mean exactly? That that's something that I'm still waiting to to understand. A bit of all that. A bit of yeah. all that. Right. You're going to try to get down to root causes to really understand the situation and the root causes, and they're going to want to uh, to put to put the finger on. Yeah, the one, two, three, four, five things that that, that have contributed to this uh, this incident. I'm not sure. Maybe we should call it accident. Um, the, the the serious incident, let's say, uh, near accident. What 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 contributed to it? And they will write a report. Um, but they also want to contain when you do an AD or, or uh, 
corrective action plan, you need to think right. of containing the bad stuff, right? Before shipping. So, okay, we find something bad. Is there anything else that was made the same way or coming from the same source that might have some of the same issue? Contain right. it, don't ship it, you know, stop it, put it somewhere and check it fast. And that's what they're doing now. They're looking at, um, so they grounded this plane, they, they, they grounded these planes. Um, from the inside, they're going to remove the wall panels and they're going to look at the, the torque levels. Well, they're not going to let the airlines together with Boeing to, to do that, you know, the maintenance departments and so on. The investigators of the NTSB are all going to have a look at it firsthand, right? right? Firsthand, uh, because they don't want, they used to a lot of issues being uh, hidden under the carpet, right? Uh, and, 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 and they're afraid of that. So they will be, they will be there physically. They are there physically looking at things. Taking measurements, okay, what's the torque on that bolt? What's the exact position? Is it all the way engaged or has it started to go up a little bit already? Uh, what, right. about the, what about the pins on the sides, by the way? Is it all properly? You know, they might find some other issues, by the way. Okay. Oh, yes. And they might, and, and they might I think the airline um, is, 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 I mean, the maintenance people or the, or the or management at the airline must be sweating bullets because. <laughs> Number one, it's it's a big loss for them to have all these planes grounded. But also, second, as I mentioned before, to me they are a little bit suspect. I would double check on them carefully because this specific plane, this specific aircraft that had this uh, this accident, there were warnings, what two or three times, in um, in in previous flights very recently. We're talking just within the days before the accident. There were warnings, automated warnings of loss of pressure. And loss of pressure is known to be a, um, how to say, a leading indicator to, to this kind of problem. It, it, it's possible that one of these plugged doors has started to move already. And if it started to move and get out of alignment, and doesn't fit nicely with the frame anymore, well, uh, <laughs> you know, then maybe a few more vibrations and it might pop out entirely. So I agree. And, and how old are these airplanes? Yeah, like uh, this one specifically have been in operation for less than two months, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. So have they... Have they summoned some guys from Boeing to come and check it out? Have they, you know, what have they done, right? From what I read, they, um, they rewrote the plane. So it was, on, it was always operating over land, and it was easy to land in, in case of an emergency rather than going over, over the water. Okay, that makes sense. But that, that, that means you have a... You have some kind of indicator that you have a problem, like, like you have smoke, right? Basically, you have indicator, okay, something here is not right. And then instead of saying, okay, put it aside, stop using it, you know, dismantle it, you know, go, go for the usual suspects, number one, number two, number three, number five, you know, and find a problem. And until we fix the problem, 
uh, don't put it back in service. Well, of, of course, this would be upsetting. Maybe their their schedule. This 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 might lead into issues. However, I guess they have a few extra airplanes. I mean, don't tell me that hundred percent of their pilots are able to work hundred percent of the time. They've got to have a bit of extra capacity uh, in in pilots and in aircraft, right? So could they just put it aside? Why why couldn't they put it aside? This is a relatively large airline. This is not a tiny airline, right? So uh, I think they're going to have to answer some tough questions. For sure. I mean, because this is sort of a miracle that nobody got got killed. But it's a miracle that nobody was sitting next to the that that portion of the war that basically popped out, right? And looking at the photos after the flight, some of the foam on the, the cushions of the seats had been ripped off. I mean, if there had, had been somebody sitting there, just imagine. And you know, things have been... You, you know, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. You just made me remember one of the passengers took a selfie with one of the guys who was sitting on the last seat. And apparently the pressure was so enormous that ripped off his shirt completely off. Of his... Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. And they found a lot of, um, lot of phones. And they found some iPhones that... Uh, that fell 16,000 feet and we're still okay. Yeah, they probably fell days. into the, the, the grass and just, you know, something <laughs> soft, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, that so, was amazing to me, actually. Because mm-hmm. iPhone typically, you know, you drop it from less than half a meter and cracks. Uh, and I was surprised right. at that for sure. Yeah, right. Right. Well, it depends, depends how it falls and what, what the surface is, I guess. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, in terms of takeaways, first thing I would say is let's wait for the, the conclusion of the, um, of the investigation. Uh, but we're going to hear a lot about it because for sure more stuff is going to come out. More details are going to come out that, that make either the, the manufacturer or the, the fuselage manufacturer maybe or, or the airline or some other body look bad. Right, so I, I would expect that, but let's let's wait for the conclusions to 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 see what contributed to this accident. And really, again, it's all about collecting the facts. So that's what they're doing: containing the potentially defective products. Don't let people ride in these airplanes until you are relatively sure that they are okay. And you know, do a, a proper root cause analysis. There might be two, three, four, five things that allowed that to happen. And, and, and then we'll see what the NTSB suggests as, 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 a, as a way to prevent this into the future. Right? In, in, any thoughts on that? Or? I think there's nothing really we can do until we actually find out what the root cause is. But any, any ideas? Um, I guess some ideas of what I think went wrong. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm thinking that Definitely manufacturing quality it, because it seems like mm. the design was good. Uh, I understand, as I understand, the door uh, had to be lifted up and placed in a uh, some kind of a position where it would fall into a place 
and it would lock in. And then you, you know, in a normal situation, if there's no huge vibrations, even if you don't have the bolts, it might be, you know, moving a little bit, but it wouldn't come out. Uh, and then the bolts will be the fail safe, meaning that once you put those four bolts in mm-hmm. place, then that door is not going anywhere. But in this mm-hmm. case, looks like the bolts were missing or something. They haven't found the bolts. And then the door somehow, I'm assuming probably hard vibrations, you know, move the door up and out of the the sockets. And as a result, uh, under certain decompression, boom, you know, the door just unplugged. And uh, uh-huh. I can think of only manufacturing quality issue on, in this case, because it looks like design was solid if it was done right. And then, um, you know, why manufacturing quality issue? That's exactly to be decided. That's the root cause. Well, maybe it's manufacturing process design issues. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe right. Could be company could. Yes, right, right, right. Did did they actually set up the processes right to have proper process control? And did they actually inspect that? Or did they just kick kick the, the the products out of the factory and let it fly? Right. So right. We, we, we'll probably never know exactly what happened to this one, uh, but there seem to be some systemic issues. And again, that's let's wait for the the report from the NTSB. All right. Well, that was that was an interesting one. And uh, again, uh, when something like this comes out in the news, we'll try to comment on them based on general information that has come out in the press uh, and uh, we, we we hope it's it's interesting to our listeners next week uh, we'll be back actually it's me together with Paul Adams talking about experience if experience effects or uh, basically how a factory gets more efficient and it makes more of the same product over time so that's that's an interesting topic uh, thanks a lot Andrew and uh, thanks to the listeners and you will hear from us next week as usual thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia including inspections auditing new product development support contract manufacturing 3PL warehousing and fulfilment and much much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.